Morning, church. How's everybody doing today? Good. Quiet. <laughs> everybody have a good week? No problems? No traffic tickets? I hope there's no traffic tickets in here. For the past couple of weeks, we've been talking about this whole issue of hope. I think you would agree that in our society right now, since about, oh, the middle of January, people have been having a real struggle with what to put their hope in, how to put their hope in something, and finding that hope that is in this world, and we've, for years and years, we've all kind of placed our hope in each other, we've placed our hope in our health, placed our hope in our jobs, placed our hope in government, placed our hope in all these things around us, our retirements, 401ks, and this whole virus situation, this pandemic that the world's been going through, it's going to thrust everybody into this period of hopelessness where many have lost jobs, many have seen their retirement tank, many have seen their health go bad, many have seen their relationships get worse, many have seen there's lots more infighting and stuff going on, they're hoping the government, the government's ability to provide for our needs has kind of gone down. And so there's this real period of kind of hopelessness that's been in our society and so as I've been dealing with this and then talking about this for the past several weeks, I want to give us a reason for hope. As the people of God, we have a reason for hope in our lives. And that hope is, should be contagious into the world around us. So I wanted to bring this to, our, to light over the past several weeks to let us know why we have a reason for hope when all around us tells us there's none, why we have a reason for hope, and to give us an opportunity and a chance to be able to communicate that to the world around us. We start off this series and talk about the hope we have in Jesus. Remember the disciples on the road to Emmaus. They had just gone through this whole period of Jesus had been living on the world for 33 years, three years of ministry, but they just had their hopes dashed because he was crucified and buried and now his grave was empty and they're walking along the road to Emmaus kind of murmuring to themselves. And Jesus walks up to them and says, why are you guys so upset? And he injects himself into the period of hopelessness. He says, let me give you a reason for hope. Let me let you see that all that has happened has been to fulfill all that the Old Testament taught us. And he took them back to the Old Testament and brought them through to the present day and increased their hope and gave them a, a, a chance to rejoice in what God had done. And then we talked about how we find hope not just in the person of Jesus, but in the word of God as well. And in the Word of God, we find truth there. In the Word of God, we find hope. In the Word of God, we find all that we need. And that gives us a measure of hope. And today, I want to give us another reason for hope. And hope sits right here in this room. Hope is found within the body of Christ. Hope is found within one another. As we bind, as we bind together, as we come together as the body of Christ, as we come together as the church of God in our community, we find hope and strength from one another. And within that bond of strength, it helps us to go out into the world with hope building within us, but also communicate that hope that we find in Christ and in the Word and in the body of Christ to those around us, to those who honestly are lacking hope. 
I kind of go through life as I'm reading through social media. I'm reading the posts of people here in Denver and people across the country and around the world. And there's just this sense of, oh, I lost, I lost my unemployment. The $600 a week I was getting from the federal government. What am I going to do now? And there's just a sense of malaise and a sense of frustration, a sense of just, oh, what are we going to do? And we as the body of Christ need to be ready to communicate the hope we have in Christ to all those around us. In 1976, there was a Special Olympics 100-yard dash that took place in Spokane, Washington. It takes place every, every four years after the regular Olympics. The Special Olympics take place in the same locations as the regular Olympics take place. And so there was this 100-yard dash that was going to be run that morning. And uh, many of the kids who were running in this 100-yard dash were Down syndrome kids. They had other physical disabilities or mental disabilities. And they were going to run and compete against one another. So as the, the contestants lined up on the 100-yard dash, they listened for that gun. And the gun went off. And they began running down the 100 yards. They began to run. They began running. And all of a sudden, one of the contestants, one of the runners, fell flat on his face. Some of the kids stopped, they turned around, they looked, and they saw this kid on his face. Not, even, not all of them saw it, but several of them did. So they turned around, two to three of them. They turned around, went back to that kid, lifted him up off out of the lane he was in, fallen right on his face. And lifted him up, and they all linked arms together, and they ran the last several 10, 20, 30 yards to the end. Together, they reached the end. That's a picture of us as the body of Christ. As we run this, this, this faith race that we are in together, as we journey in this faith journey together, as we come together to study God's word, as we come together to be encouraged by one another, we are not on this journey alone. We are not on this journey of faith alone. In this room, probably 30, 20, 30 people here in this room this morning, we are on the journey together. Encouraging one another, lifting one another up, arm in arm, linking together, going down that race to reach the end together. We don't have to fight our battles alone. We don't have to face our fears alone. We don't have to face our hopelessness alone. Because right here, across the aisles where we're sitting, right here, looking online, wherever you happen to be this morning, we journey together. And in that journey, we find strength. It's like a team relay. It's a team relay sport. You can't be in a relay race by yourself. It takes three other people to be in that race together. Now, if you've got a family of four, you've already got your relay team going. If you've got a family of six or seven like we do, you've already got your relay race going. But we as the body of Christ, we are a family. We're a relay team of 30 people. We cannot do it without you. We need everybody to step up. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23 and 24 kind of says it this way. It says, let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering. Since he who's promised is faithful. 
And let us consider one another in order, to, in order to provoke love and good works. Now my kids like to quote to me, fathers do not exasperate their children. Fathers do not provoke your children to wrath, right? Kids like to, be, to quote that to their dads. But in this instance, people, in this instance, people, we are to provoke one another, not to wrath, but to love and good works. So when somebody texts you and says, hey, I've missed you, where have you been? They're trying to provoke you, let you know, I've been thinking about you. I've been worried about you. When somebody sends you an email or calls and say, are you okay? Where have you been? I am concerned for your well-being. When somebody says, I, I really, I love seeing you this morning. Welcome to church. Our greeting team outside, that's why we stand out there. We want to welcome you to church because we enjoy seeing your smiling eyes. Everybody smile. I see those eyes. We enjoy seeing one another. We enjoy seeing your smiles. We enjoy hearing your voices. We enjoy the, the elbows, elbow bumps and fist bumps and all that we do right now. We enjoy doing that. We are to come together to provoke one another, to love and good works, not to wrath, not to pride, not to anything else, but to love and good works. Because this is where you come, hopefully, to get recharged. This is where your battery gets, gets zapped. So when you leave here, you go out of here to pursue love and good works in our community, in your family, and all those around us, and within the body of Christ here together as well. This is where we come to exercise our faith. See, a significant measure of the hope that God has for us can only be found in partnership with one another. You can try to watch and just participate in church online, and I'm thankful for the people that are watching online. But if that is all you ever do, if that's all you ever experience is just watching a church service online or just coming and participating for 30, 40 minutes on a Sunday morning, you're missing so much richness that's out there. You're missing so much. That's the reason why we have small groups that meet on Sunday nights and Monday nights. That's the reason why we come together to do ministry together. That's the reason why we have support our missionaries who come. That's when, when they came to tell us, this is what I'm able to do in Bolivia, in Australia, in Greece, and all around the world because of our partnership with them. They can't do it by themselves. They need us. That's why we give to our missionaries. That's why we come together for corporate worship. If it was just me up here singing, no laughter, that's good. If it was just me up here singing, what would it sound like? Squawk, 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 squawk. But instead, we have a beautiful team up here who can lead in singing. And we get to hear your voices too, singing back at us. I love sitting up here on the front row because then I get to hear all the voices coming from behind me. And it encourages me to sing out louder too. So my voice isn't coming through on the microphone. We need one another. We need to find time together. It's a team relay sport, not a single racing sport. And as I said before, just as hope is found in the person of Jesus, as hope is found in the word of God, hope is also found among his people. So let us run with race, endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith to run together.
this race together. So with that in mind, let's take a look at that this morning. What does it mean now to run the race together? What does it mean to go on this journey together? What does it mean to find hope from within one another and from each other? Number one, excuse me, hope is walking in the light. Hope, walking in the light of God's people breeds hope. Walking together with God's people breeds hope. You know, it's easy for hope to fade when we ask the wrong questions. It, 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 when we get our mind off of what's important, think of the disciples on the road to Emmaus. We read about them a couple weeks, few weeks ago. In Luke 24, 21, the question they were talking to Jesus about says, but we were hoping that he was going to be the one to redeem Israel. We were hoping this Jesus was going to be the one to redeem Israel. See, they were asking the wrong question. They let their presuppositions, their pre-ideas of who Jesus, who the Messiah was supposed to be, lead them to a wrong set of questions. And so as Jesus came alongside, he corrected their theology, corrected their ideology, corrected their, their questions. They needed him as we need each other. Their concern was, how is Jesus going to deal with the Roman government? The Messiah is here. He's going to surely come and conquer the Romans and free Israel. That's what he's coming for, right? No, that's not why Jesus came. Surely he's going to defeat Israel and restore Israel. Restore, defeat Caesar, rather, and restore Israel. Surely that's what the Messiah is coming to do. No, that's not what the Messiah came to do. See, he tried to let them know God's plan beforehand through the three years of ministry and, and, and toward the last week of the last month of his life he was constantly telling them this is why the son of man came this is why the son of man came the son of man came he's going to have to suffer and die this is why the son of man came but his words didn't match up with they had believed their whole life and so they were left with questions of why 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 and it's not wrong to ask God why. It's not wrong to question and say, God, why is this happening to me? God, why are we enduring this? God, why are we suffering right now? Why, why, why? If we want to listen to the answer. See, dwelling on the wrong questions ultimately leads to depression and a loss of hope. And that's where those disciples found themselves. They were kind of walking on the road to Emmaus, recounting the events. But the questions were why? And they were kind of, until Jesus came along and corrected their thinking. In the midst of this loss of the point, disappointment, the question could come up, does God really care? In the midst of all this, this is, does God really care what's going on with us? Does God really care that we're going through a pandemic? Does God really care that we have to wear masks all the time? Does God really care that I've lost my job or my income has re been reduced because of this? Does God really care? Yes, he does. Yes, he does. See, if God sees a sparrow's fall, if God knows a number of hairs on your head, if God sees intimately all the details of your life, he does care. And he desires to be part of the answer. 
Hope prevails. Jesus declared, I am the light of the world. Right? He says, I am the light of the world. And elsewhere he told to the disciples, you are the light of the world. You're that city, you're that, light, you're that lighthouse, you're the city on the hill. So is it Jesus or us? Yes, it's both. We are the light of the world to communicate the light. We are the light in this world, communicating the light of the world to the, those in darkness, to those without hope, those who are stuck in their wallowing, those who are stuck and they're just kicking their feet up going, I don't know what's going on around me. We are here to communicate there is hope. We have the light of the world living within us so that we can communicate that light to those in the darkness. A couple weeks ago, I had a chance to talk to a young man and to share with him again, as I've shared with him several other times, about the hope, about the light we have in Christ, about the future we can have being forgiven from our sins. And as I shared with him, for multiple times, it's been, it's, it's, it's a process sometimes with some people. Some people get it first time out, right? You ever share Christ with somebody? And they're like, bing, that's awesome. I need that right now. And they sing it themselves. For others of us, we're very stubborn. For others of us, it takes a few times. So as I shared with them about Christ, there was a light that went on. And they said, I need that. I'm tired of trying to do it myself. I'm tired of trying to get through life by myself. I'm trying to, tired of trying to work my way to salvation. I need the hope that Jesus brings. And he bowed his head. I talked to him about a week later, and the change was remarkable. Because this is what happens when the hope of Christ gets within you, when you really get it. He said, I've been reading my Bible. I've been going through my Bible app and reading through the, the Bible reading plan with you. And I've been at work sharing about God with my coworkers. His whole outlook on life had changed because he met Jesus, because of this interaction he now had with Jesus. When we meet Jesus, when we share that love of, of, that we have with Jesus, when we share the hope that we have with Jesus, it spreads to all those around us. We can't help it. We're like that sponge. You get poked and Jesus just flows out, right? That's what should happen. You fill yourself with God's word. You fill yourself with worship. You fill yourself with Jesus. And when somebody pokes you and asks you a question, it just flows right out like that wet sponge. See, we... That's why meeting together is so important. That's why coming together is so vitally important. Because we draw strength from one another. We draw strength from one another in the body of Christ. Hebrews 10.25 says it this way. Not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Genuine community is not optional for the people of God. I'm not going to come to your door on Sunday morning and say, where are you? But the Holy Spirit ought to be telling you every Saturday night, you need to get to bed early so you can get to church on Sunday morning. You need Saturday and Sunday morning worship is a Saturday night decision. Right. You know that, right? 
coming to church on Sunday morning, meeting together on Sunday morning, coming to Bible study on Sunday night or Monday night is not that and in that afternoon and that morning decision, it's a decision that's got to be made the night before or the week before to let your kids know, let your elders around you know, this is just what we do as a family. We go to worship. We go to get together with the body of Christ. We go because we need the strength that comes from one another meeting together. It's interesting, this was written by Paul. This was written by the author of Hebrews. I think it was Paul, but we don't know for sure. Back in the first century, to the to the people, to the Hebrews, he said, not neglecting to gather together as some of you are in the habit of doing. That was even a practice back then. Well, we'll just get, if we've got time, we'll go. If i got time, if, if there's nothing else, if the NFL games aren't on, there's no Major League Baseball games on, there's no basketball, there's no gladiatorial fights going on, I guess we can go. We need one another. When, he says they're encouraging one another and all the more that you see the day coming when Jesus is coming back. Would you agree that this world is in a big problem right now? Would you agree that all around us, more and more people around us need to hear about the love of Jesus? It's, more, it's vitally important now that we come together and meet together even more so in some cases than it was back then in the first century. It's vital that we come together and meet together. It's vital that we don't just skip out for nonsensical reasons. I need you. You need you. You need, you need each other. You know what I mean. We need one another to gather strength together, to be encouraged by one another, to go on the journey together. I go to pass off my baton. Nikolai better be there to catch it. I'm, I'm waiting for it from Mike over here. If I'm not there to get rid of the baton from him, he's going to fall flat on his face. I've seen Mike run. We need one another. It's necessary meeting together. It's necessary for the spiritual health of every believer. Next, real fellowship breeds hope. Real fellowship breeds that hope. We find that hope within the body of Christ, and that real fellowship breeds the hope. It meets the needs from all to, that we find from within the family of God. Philippians chapter 4, verse 19 says it this way, And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Not some of your needs, my God will supply all your needs. All means all, and that's all all means, right? God will supply all of our needs. Sometimes we want more than we need. I want church to look this way. I want the body of Christ to be this way. I want, I want, I want. God says, I'm going to supply your needs, your daily bread. I'm supply, when you come to church that morning, you're going to meet God, and he's going to meet those needs for you. This morning, I got a call from one of my pastor friends at 8.30. He says, David, I've been reading God's word in my quiet time this morning. Then I opened my Bible app, and the passage I read in my quiet time is the same app on my phone. I think God is telling me to change my message at 8.30 in the morning, on a Sunday morning. I need your prayers. So he said, I need... And that was, they meet at 10 o'clock as well. So he's an hour and a half from starting church and scrapping his message he prepared all week. 
And he said, I'm just going to shoot from the hip and let the Holy Spirit talk through me. And so we prayed right there on the phone and said, God, would you bless him? Would you speak through him? Would you give him all that he needs and all that his church needs for the message this morning? I can tell you as a pastor, that's tough. It's happened to me before. I've come into church on Sunday morning at 9 o'clock and God says, yeah, I don't want you to preach that message you prepared all week. Here's a new passage for you. And I stand up there with no notes, just my Bible here, and I just preach. Or rather, the Holy Spirit preaches through me. It happens. Not only is it scary, but it's exciting at the same time because I know that God is providing needs for me. He's also providing the needs for those in the congregation. That God is going to provide all that we need. God is a need-meeting God. You know that? God is a need-meeting God. Those glorious riches, what are they? What are these glorious riches that Paul speaks of? He says, I'm going to meet these needs for you. Imagine your riches. Everybody's got a pantry, right? In your house. Maybe it's a small pantry. Maybe it's a large pantry. Maybe it's a double-wide pantry. You got this pantry in your house. And inside this pantry, all your needs are in there. They're all just stacked in there. Whatever they might be. You're walking around the house depressed, discouraged. Holy Spirit goes over to the pantry. Hmm. Look at a little discouraged there. Let me pull out a little encouragement. Wham! He zaps you with some encouragement that just comes from you. You have no idea. Where did that come from? You get a phone call. You get an email. And somebody says, I'm so glad, thankful for you. I'm so encouraged by you. Let me tell you what your kids did in school today. And all of a sudden you're like feeling discouraged because you're a bad dad. And somebody calls and says, let me tell you how awesome your kids are. And you go, whoa. That's the Holy Spirit going, wham. And he gives you a little encouragement just when you need it. You're a grandparent worried about your kids. You're worried about your spouse. You're worried about those around you. Holy Spirit goes over and he's... Worry, worry, worry. You pull over. I've got this. Bam! He gives it just to you. And he puts, gives you a verse, gives you a passage, gives you a song to remind you that God is faithful and he loves your kids and your grandkids and your spouse more than you do. And he gives you just what you need at the right time. And you're hurting. And you find that there's a jar of comfort right there. He comes over and wham! And he gives you just what you need, that comfort at just the right time. Because God is going to supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. And those riches are available to us as the children of God. Sometimes it comes from in situations like that where you're all by yourself, but more often than not, that encouragement comes from within the body of Christ as we meet together. You come in, you're depressed, you're discouraged, you're frustrated, you're angry, whatever, and you meet somebody in church that morning, they come up and give you a little elbow bump, with this smile at you through their eyes, and they let you know that we missed you. We love you. We are glad you're here this morning. And all those cares of the world seem to fall away because you met here with the people of God. Why does he do this? Why does God do this? Why does he want to meet those needs for us? Why does he just leave us alone? Paul writes this in Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1. He says, In him, 
we have also received an inheritance. Because we were predestined according to the plan of the one who works out everything in agreement with the purpose of his will. So that we who had already put our hope in Christ might bring praise to his glory. Why does God give us these things? Why does God bring us encouragement when we're discouraged? Why does God bring us comfort when we're hurting? Why does God do these things? The last line, so that in Christ we might bring praise to his glory. We're not here to bring glory to ourselves. We're not here to live life, an easy peasy life through this world. We're here to live life so that God might get the glory through all that we do and say. So that he might get the praise and glory. Not so we might get the pat on the back. So that he might get the praise and the glory. He goes on in verse 13. It says, In him you also were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit when you heard the word of truth. Holy Spirit came and dwelled you at that point. The gospel of your salvation, when you believed, the Holy Spirit, Paul says, is the down payment on your inheritance. He's there to remind you of what you have waiting for you in heaven, of what you have waiting for you in glory, or what you have waiting for you. So this life is just temporary existence. This life is just as we got to get through it. we got 30, 40, 50, 70, 80, 100 years of looking forward to what God has been preparing for us for 2,000 years. As wonderful and as awesome as this world is, as beautiful as it is, as nice as your house is, as big as your bank account is, they're all squat compared to what God has waiting for us in heaven. They're nothing compared to what God has waiting for us. The Holy Spirit is just this down payment in our inheritance until the redemption of possession to what? To the praise of his glory. And he skips down to verse 18. Paul writes, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so you may know what is the hope of his calling. This hope, the hope of his calling, that your eyes be enlightened, hope of his calling. What is the wealth of his glorious inheritance? In the saints. In the saints. That's what we get reminded every single day of our inheritance, of the riches of his glorious inheritance. And then one another. We find it from one another. We get encouraged by one another. I hope that when you come here on Sunday mornings, or you come on for your Bible study on Sunday nights or Monday nights, that you leave encouraged by all that God is trying to do in and through you, what he wants to do in and through you. It's not just living our lives for 30, 40, 50, 100 years just to get through, but what is it that God wants to do through you and through me in this world. How does he want to use us to encourage somebody else? How does he want to challenge us to be a blessing to somebody else? How can we be the lighthouse on a hill shining brightly to somebody else to remind them of the glory and the grace and the mercy and the glory of God? See, many of those glorious riches that Paul wrote about there in Philippians 4, they're already found within one another. They're all found in the relationships we have with one another here in the body of Christ. 
You need acceptance in the midst of self-doubt. You find that from within God's people. You need encouragement or care or affirmation when you grow weary and well-doing. We all get tired. We find that often through the body. Sometimes it feels like you feel like your job that you're doing in the church doesn't get noticed. That you go out there, cut all the grass, nobody comes up and gives you a pat on the back. You killed all the weeds in the parking lot. Nobody says anything, only to have them grow back twice as big. Those pine cones out there, they fall from the tree, they replicate. And you go out there and you pick them up, and you pick them up, and you pick them up week after week after week, and nobody comes up and says, thank you, pat you on the back. God sees it. And then you come up here one day and somebody else is up there also picking up pine cones. Somebody else is out there also killing the weeds. Somebody else is also out there watering the plants. Somebody else is out coming in here cleaning up the, the building so that you don't have to. And you realize we are the body of Christ working together to make the kingdom of God move forward. We get encouraged. We often find that strength from one another. But again, we're all on this journey together. When one of us is weak, someone else is strong, and we can pull up the one who is weak. That kid who fell in the 100-yard dash, he wasn't able to finish the race by himself. He fell flat on his face. And his co-runner, other runners, ran over and picked him up, and they walked down to the end of the race together. When one is weak, others are strong. And we carry the weak. So there are going to be times when those who are strong are also weak, and we need one another. That's one of the reasons why in John chapter 17, Jesus prays for us. Do you know that Jesus prayed specifically for you in John chapter 17? He prayed for the disciples too. But in that, he was praying for the church. He was praying for the body of Christ. He was praying for you and I, that we might find strength. We might find unity. We might come together for the purpose of the kingdom of God. We might find encouragement from one another. Because hope needs to break. Lastly, from the fellowship, we find that serving one another breeds if you find yourself feeling a little hopeless or without missing something in your life, maybe you need to step up and serve one another. What should our response be? 1 Peter 4 and Hebrews 10 kind of lays it out this way. Just as you, each one has received a gift from God, use it to serve others as good stewards of the very grace of God. And let us consider one another in order to back up. And let us consider one another in order to provoke love and good works. Serving one another breeds hope. Serving one another breeds hope. The riches we're talking about are all the things we need. These are things that we look at that we might receive them indirectly from each other, but ultimately they're from God. As we serve one another, it's God, we're giving those gifts through you to somebody else. 
as you serve in the nursery, as you work in children's ministry, as you work, work down the praise team, as you're signing checks, as you're taking up the offering, as you're cleaning up and picking up pine cones and cutting grass and all the other things that have got to be done around our church to make the kingdom of God move forward as you're giving your tithes and your offerings and you're praying for your missionaries. We are participating indirectly in the riches of God going out to others because those things are ultimately coming from God through us. But as we exercise our gifts, we must avoid the thoughts of, I wonder if I can impress through my actions. Satan will do all he can to get you feeling discouraged. I'm the only one out here doing it. But he can also make you that pride well up. Look what I'm doing. Both of those are wrong. Both of those are wrong. Our motivation ought to be this. I'm bringing God's riches into our place of meeting in order to serve others with those riches so that the hope might be encouraged. I'm bringing God's riches into our place of meeting in order to serve others with those riches so the hope might be encouraged. That ought to be our motivation. As you lead small groups, as you come here and you do a job, as you come here and you greet people, and you smile and you give them a fist bump or an elbow bump, it's not you're not doing it to build yourself up. Say, everybody look at me. We're doing this so that we can bring glory to God, so we can build up hope within the body of Christ. Imagine what would happen in the congregation. Imagine what would happen in our congregation and the community around us. If those who call themselves followers of Jesus look for ways to use their gifts, they stepped up and volunteered to make a difference in others' lives. How many nurseries, church nurseries, could be filled with workers? It's my turn this week. It's my turn. It's my turn. My turn. Get out of here. It's my turn. I get to work with the kids this week. How many children's ministries and youth ministries I've been around this country, I've been begging for people to come and volunteer. Please, 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 please. If people step up and say, let me help. Where can I help? What can I do? How many pregnancy centers can be staffed? How many missionaries overseas can be encouraged, not just with the giving, but with us praying and then writing them and saying, I prayed for you this week. I don't know what's going on in your life in the ministry, right now, but I prayed for you this week. I read your letter this week, and I was encouraged to pray. That's why we send out those missionary letters every week when they come in. Stephanie sends them out to all of our church, so we might pray for our missionaries, and then maybe even communicate back with them, say, you know, Parkins, I pray for you. Nelsons, I pray for you. Prices, we pray for you. Tamako's family, we pray for you. And what's going on in your country and with you? How many immigrants in our community could could be embraced and their lives changed if we stepped up as a body of Christ to reach those around us, to not view them as just different, but stepped up and said, maybe we need to offer an English class here for those who are coming into our country who don't really know a lot of English. Let us come in. Let us teach you God's word. Let us encourage you. Let us embrace you and help you out in whatever way, way you may need. That's what our missionary George and Lisa Demacos did in Greece. Yes, they started a church, but they looked at all the immigrants coming from Syria and Iran and Iraq and Lebanon and all these other countries coming onto the shores of Greece. So what can we do to meet these immigrants? They opened up a welcome center. 
And they begin inviting all these Muslim immigrants into their, to the top floor of their church. They begin providing food for them. They show them how to use cell phones. They show them how to find apartments and shelter and all these other things. And in the meantime, they were also presenting the gospel to them, teaching them God's word. And these Muslim immigrants are coming into Greece and they're finding Jesus. Not the Jesus they thought they understood from the Quran and from Muslim teachings, but the real Jesus from God's word. Their lives were getting transformed. I love reading George's post on Facebook. He's always like, two more got saved today. One more got saved today. Three more found Jesus today. And he's writing it out there. And I'm like, that's awesome. The people are finding Jesus because others stepped up and said, how can I volunteer? How can I help? How can I give? How can I pray? See, we as the body of Christ... God chooses to use us. He can do it by himself. He's almighty, all-powerful, all-knowing God. He can totally do it by himself. He doesn't need you and me. But he chooses to use you and me. Because he gets the ultimate glory. But he wants to see us grow. He wants to see our riches developed. He wants to see us blessed. He wants to see us encouraged. And as we serve, as we find a place of service in the body of Christ, God, there's so much more. And bow your heads and close your eyes just for a minute. Maybe there's an area in your life where you've realized that your area of ministry is lacking. I don't know what it is. You've been coming for a while, never really plugged in, there are ministry needs all over the place. Maybe God is reminding you this morning that He wants you to serve and need you to serve. Because we're all on this team sport together. It's a real race we run together. It's not just your pastor and his family and a few others. We as the body of Christ run together. So as Karis plays, before we sing, I want you and God just to meet here this morning and you ask God where he wants you to serve, how he wants you to serve in the body of